this is my passion. I do believe that the solution, and I, I, use, I actually don't even wanna use the word believe. I know that the solution to the fashion crisis is reuse and extending the life cycle of what we already have and no new production. And if new production only sustainably. to another episode of Who's Saving the Planet. I'm your host, Tony Noto. Alex Shadro is our special guest today. You may know her as the Sustainabay. She's a member of Al Gore's Climate Reality Leadership Corps, the Chief Operations Officer over at the resale website, List Perfectly, and she's an Instagram star with some 65,000 followers. Perhaps you're one of them. Today, Alex schools me on the quote-unquote hideous side of fast fashion. And she tells me why she's a major proponent of resale and secondary sales and how List Perfectly is making a difference not just with clothes, but all types of products. Directing sellers and buyers to sites like Poshmark, Depop, Etsy, eBay. And we talk about how she got her start, her past startup endeavors, the lack of venture capital that's available for women entrepreneurs, her year of not buying anything new, Adidas versus Nike, and the next step in her journey, she has the CEO title in her sights. So stay tuned, enjoy, and apologies for the sound quality on my part. There was a snafu and I sound like I'm in a tunnel, but Alex sounds great and that's all that matters. Here she is. Welcome to Who's Saving the Planet, how are you? I'm doing great, how are you? And I'm so excited to be here. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited that you're here. I mean. You're kind of this uh, viral uh, influencer. So that's always a big deal for me. You know, I will say that in the influencer world, I'm pretty small, but in the sustainable influencer world, I think I got a pretty good <laughs> following going for myself. <laughs> you do. and But you have the name Sustainabay, right? right? With a nickname like that, I mean, you really have to live up to being sustainable. It's very true, but as my website says at the very top to the people that sometimes DM me on how I can be better, sustainability is about millions of people doing it imperfectly, not about one person doing it perfectly. Right. right. <laughs> okay, so how'd you come up with the name Sustainabay? I was really searching for just things in the sustainability word category and sustain a babe was taken and I kind of wanted something that was really close to the word sustainable. And so sustain a bay is really just one letter off. And I thought it was a perfect name for me because I really am into the especially fashion side of sustainability. It's where I've worked since my career started right after college. And it's something I'm passionate about thrifting, reusing clothing and just how wasteful that industry is and how we can make a change. So I do, you know, subscribe to sustainability on a whole uh, holistic, I guess, way. So I'm vegan, I drive a Prius, you know, I do the whole thing. But for me, I also wanted to merge my love of fashion with sustainability. So I felt like the Bay aspect kind of had that fashion-y influencer element. And of course, sustainability being my number one passion and mission. So before we get into that, uh, let's talk a little bit about you getting out of college and looking at the world and, and wanting to make a difference as so many bright eyed young professionals want to do. 
were you like that right out of the gates or, or was it like a learning process? Did you just graduate and go, you know, I want to do something that I, that I'm passionate about, but I want it to be eco-minded and responsible, or was this sort of more of a wake up call as you, as you got involved in business and, and the real working world, as they say? I like to say sustainability is in my blood because my mom and my dad own a metal recycling company and they actually take the scraps of planes and buildings and all of these really big industrial kind of projects and they recycle the scraps and then they regrade it into metal that can be used to build again. So recycling, even though I'm not talking about like, you know, how we recycle a plastic bottle versus can, I'm talking about like big industrial recycling has always been a part of my family. And for example, my dad and his two brothers actually started the first recycling in Maui. And prior to that, all of Hawaii used to ship their trash and recycling on actual cargo ships to the greater United States which is why when you're in Hawaii on any of the islands, you'll see a lot of like old trucks and old buildings that are just like essentially planters now yeah. on the side of the road. And that's because before my dad and his brothers went there, they were not having any recycling at all in the entire uh, state. And I am really excited to, you know, have that background. But what I will say is for me, that's kind of where it stopped for my family was like, okay, we do this for a living. We actually make a difference. This is how we make our money is by doing things that are good for the planet. And that's really where it, it, it ends. You know, it was only a few years ago that with my knowledge and where I'm at that I was able to get them to get solar panels on the house. So it's, it's <laughs> you know, it's like I am part of a sustainable legacy, but I still have, you know, parents that are in a different generation. So it's taken time, but I do have that background. And when I went to college and I started actually buying things for myself and paying for my life outside of my education, which I already know is such an amazing gift that parents can give you, but it really was the first time that I had to pay for apartment, you know, healthcare, my car, all of the bills like were coming to me for the first time. And so I started getting very like frugal and I'm like, oh yes, like a t-shirt, five bucks. Like, this is great. Right. I think I just, kind of started being like, wait, how is this $5, you know? And I was probably not until a year in, and it's kind of like when you're dating someone new and you're just like, oh my God, they're the most amazing person. You're in the honeymoon phase. I had that phase with fast fashion where I was like, this is the best thing ever. And then over time I was like, wait, wait, how is this happening? And yeah, there's an ugly side to this, <laughs> this passion of mine, just like in a relationship. <laughs> 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 I mean, absolutely. So I, I think the side of fashion is like, let's not call it ugly. Let's call it like terrorizingly hideous, right? <laughs> what's going on in this industry. And so when I started looking into my passion for fashion and, and just sustainability where they intersect and seeing how unsustainable the fashion industry is in particular, I got really, really obsessed with not buying anything new. And I actually did a full year of buying nothing new, only buying used clothing that were not um, fast fashion at all. So just really like old brands, essentially, not like going to a thrift store and finding, you know, what I would at a or, or going on Poshmark, let's say, and just buying something new with tags on Poshmark. I actually really committed to no new clothes and no new anything, no new furniture, no new nothing. And after that, I said, okay, now I've saved a lot of money, first of all, of course. 
I had quite an awakening during that time. And that was when I applied to be an Al Gore climate leader and like really learned a lot about um, the climate crisis at that summit that I went to with Al Gore. Um, and at that time, I started transitioning into a way that I could actually live and function as a consumer sustainably. So, you know, investing in a compost, um, learning about sustainable brands for beauty and for clothing. So I could, when I needed to, right, acquire something new, do it sustainably. And I was also at the time starting businesses in the industry. So I'm sure we'll get into that. Yeah. Well, let's set the stage for the folks who never even heard the term fast fashion. What is it and why is it bad? Let's talk about fast fashion. Okay. Yeah. The reason it's called fast fashion is because it's on it's part of a uh, production cycle that is considered fast. So back in the day, and I'm, I'm literally talking 20 or 30 years ago, we used to have four seasons and each brand would come out with one essentially line to cover the, all of the shopping of every consumer for that season. We have fall, summer, winter, and spring. And then the cycles of production evolved to match a consumer that was buying now 20 times more fashion than they did just five years ago. And now there are actually 12 to 18 cycles. So we're having four to five production cycles each quarter. And that's actually having a very fast turnover. So that's where fast fashion comes into play. And in order to support these extremely fast, like trend driven cycles that we see at companies, of course, like Forever 21, H&M, Victoria's Secret, um, Zara, and I mean, the list literally goes on and on and on. I'm not just calling out these brands like Nike is a part of it as well. So, um, you know, the list is literally infinite. Yeah, it's an endless list, right? Right. In order to support these fast cycles, they have to have some kind of profit margin that allows them to say, okay, if we only sell one tenth of our production this cycle, then we're going to make a profit where we can throw away nine out of 10 things we produce if it's not a hit. Mm. And so that's where the term fast fashion comes from. And in order to support that fast cycle, the clothing itself has to be made extremely inexpensively, starting with the materials used and the way that they're sourced, right? Using the absolute cheapest pesticides to keep the bugs off of the, um, let's say it's cotton or poly or wool. I mean, even worse is that most of them are not made with cotton, right? They're mostly made with plastic based fibers like polyester or nylon. Mm -hmm. um, and so when they make these things so cheaply, it starts with the material. It also, of course, goes to these suffering and I would honestly call it enslaved laborers that they use to make the clothes. Um, all the way to like the, you know, single use packaging that they wrap each garment in, in order to prevent any stains or tears or whatever during the shipping from another country to the uh, commercial market that they're going to sell it in. So there's just, I mean, again, the list of companies is endless and the list of bad business practices and like unsustainable business practices is endless, but that is what fast fashion is. It's for that fast business cycle. So for you as a marketing specialist, right? Is that a fair way to, uh, is that a fair thing to call you? I mean, you're um, obviously got a huge presence online. You're tapped by companies to, for your, your expertise. Absolutely. I'm definitely a marketing specialist. I, I was just promoted from chief marketing officer at List Perfectly to chief operating officer and partner. And 
I'm proud to say that I'm on track to becoming CEO someday soon. So I'm really <laughs> definitely a marketing specialist, and that's my first love. Okay. All right. Well, congratulations on the promotion. Thank you. <laughs> How'd you end up meeting Amanda and Clara, the founders? In the midst of college and my don't buy anything new and my Al Gore certification and the list goes on and on all these things I was doing. I was actually the CEO of a marketplace called Relove. So our mission was to reduce, reuse, relove in the fashion space. And we really focused on non-luxury items. So a lot of platforms are, you know, they find it really easy to find a new home for your Louis Vuitton, but it's really hard to find a new home for your t-shirt, you know, or for whatever it might right. be of shorts and so we really did focus on extending the life cycle of clothes and i grew that app to a hundred thousand users and raised a million dollars in venture capital for it in just one year and during that year i met amanda and clara because list perfectly is the number one way to sell your clothes online and actually i should say to sell anything online but so they, they do other stuff more than clothes they do anything. So you can literally list anything with List Perfectly, but List Perfectly is the number one way to sell online. And essentially what it does is we copy your listing from either the List Perfectly catalog where you list it to or the existing marketplace that you're on. So let's say you're already selling on eBay or Poshmark or Depop or wherever you're selling. And we copy it to all of your favorite marketplaces in just a few clicks. So you are able to go from eBay to all 12 platforms we support in a fraction of the time. You're able to go from most perfectly to those platforms too. It's really up to you how you want to use it, but we make it really easy to sell on every platform. So you're kind of like the anchor. What anchor is the podcast, you're kind of like that for items that you want to sell. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, for those of who, who don't know, anchor is a platform that takes podcasts and distributes it to all the popular platforms. You don't have to go, you know, drive yourself crazy going to Apple, Spotify and, and whatnot. Exactly. That's okay. exactly what we do. And so I actually was meeting with them as a partner to put Relove on the list of marketplaces that List Perfectly supports. And I was on that list. And so when I decided to exit Relove and sell off different pieces of our assets, I got a call from Amanda and Clara saying, what is your next move? And to be honest with you, my next move was to go to Bali and like chill and find myself and think about what I wanted to do with my, with my life. And they just really offered me an amazing position that was perfectly it. This is my passion. I do believe that the solution, and I, I use, I actually don't even want to use the word believe. I know that the solution to the fashion crisis is reuse and extending the life cycle of what we already have and no new production. And if new production only sustainably. And so I, I really wanted to be a part of what they're doing and just making it even easier for sellers to get a, a mass amount of inventory on every marketplace so that buyers do go to Poshmark and Depop and Etsy and eBay before they go buy something new. I, and that's really what I wanted to be a part of. So you're going to, you're going to go into a place, be like, okay, you can tell the difference between who's just doing it because being eco-friendly is trendy and who's doing it because they mean business. What was it about list perfectly that I I'm thinking was the latter, right? Like, is it a part of their mission or is it something that they're sort of just tagging on the end of their mission statement? Absolutely. It is their mission. 
shopping resale is 82% more sustainable than retail. So it elongates the carb, I mean, excuse me, it reduces the carbon footprint of the item just by extending its life cycle. It's not, the purchase, the purchase itself is not as plastic heavy or material heavy as if you were to buy it new. Um, and of course it keeps money into the resale market and to the platforms that are promoting secondhand sales versus the you know producers that are constantly producing more and more new garments. And I really wanna throw out something really astounding here, which is that 90% of textiles that are made never get used. Mm. So not even before it even hits the store, we have 90% waste. What, so and wait, why is that? That's because they just like companies will literally just mass produce a ton of textiles that they don't even need, or they never actually turn into anything or that they think that, um, you know, designers will use and that they never get used. I mean, if you really just think about when you walk into a fabric store yourself as a consumer, like how much fabric they have that never gets sold, like just kind of apply that to a corporation. And then in actual stores, it's, it's estimated and I'm quoting things like, you know, Washington Post and Forbes business to get these numbers and business insider. Um, it's estimated that 80% of products are actually never sold and in the firsthand market. So there's just a yeah. tremendous amount of waste in this industry. Yeah. It just gets carted off to a landfill. It gets carted off to a landfill. It gets burned, which releases CO2 into the sky, or it gets carted off to a developing country where uh, it absolutely ruins the local artisan business and like impoverishes the community and then gets carted off into a landfill or a river there. So it's, it's just a nightmare, you know, what happens with these clothes. And it is not required for companies to disclose how they get rid of their clothing. So I will say just as a rule, if they're not disclosing, it's not sustainable. How do you get people to say to themselves or to convince them to change their habits and go, you know what? I'm not going to go to Bloomingdale's today. I'm going to actually get something, you know, I'm going to reuse because some people like new things. Like they don't want to change their habits. And the second question to that is, is it, say they do change their habits. Is that even enough? Or is there some sort of market regulation that needs to be put upon these manufacturers to make sure that, Hey, if you create more than you're selling or using, there needs to be some sort of transparency or possibly penalty in how much you're, uh, all the waste that you're creating. So I will say that when it comes to sustainability, I think in sustainability, I think that unless the change that you're making is sustainable in your own life, then it's not even worth it, right? Because I mean, it's, it is good to have a meatless Monday. Like that actually really does you know, save so many cows. Like I think it's 18 cows a year per person, you know, just by having one meatless Monday. It's, it's wild, you know, <laughs> and that is great. but if you really want to make a real change, that's more like, I'm going to actually do this as a rule or as a majority of the time, like I'm in a majority of the time, you know, shop sustainably, which is a much better change than just a few, you know, baby steps. This is really a climate crisis, which requires a crisis-like devotion to your changes. Mm. I think that that's important to say, because I do want to pat people on the back when they do better. But at the same time, I also want to kind of give them a little push at the same time to right. do more. So, so for those that are making a change, you don't have to go from, I never shop used clothes to I shop only used clothes. 
I think there's two kind of intermediate steps here. So the first step is buy new stuff. I'm not telling you to not buy new stuff. I'm telling you to research the brands that you buy from and make smarter choices and know that if there is no sustainability section on their website or how we make our clothes, then it is unsustainable. I'm asking you not to buy a Nike fleece pullover and instead buy a Patagonia, mm. you know, which has so much transparency in how they make their clothes and does so much for the planet. I'm asking you not to buy a Tory Burch leather um, pump or leather slip-on and instead buy a Rothy's, which are all made from plastic bottles and such a fantastic brand. So just do research on sustainable fashion women, like literally type that in. And yes, there is a lot of companies that pose as sustainable. But if you actually go to their, their website and look and see is this sustainable or not, they will have a section on there. And I really do give kudos to the brands like Reformation that I see saying, look, we're not 100% sustainable. Actually, only 15% of our textiles are considered 100% sustainable and another roughly 50% are recycled. So we're doing better, but we are always committed to doing better and better and we're on our journey. And right. so those, those brands that are actually being transparent, that's the best brands to continue to support. Another, you think, yeah, go ahead, sorry. No, last thing is just another mega brand is Adidas. Adidas is actually reinventing the way we do textiles and fabrics. I'm wearing all Adidas right now. You guys can't see me, but <laughs> I love Adidas and I'm like all for buying new Adidas. So just, I'm not saying don't buy new. I'm saying just be mindful about what you're buying. And mm -hmm. I'm going to just tell everyone here that there is no innocent company that is not being transparent, no matter what it is you care about. If you care about animals, these companies are testing on animals. How did you make sure that Adidas is more consumer friendly or more environmentally friendly than say Nike? So it is actually all over Adidas website that they are, you know, inventing a new process and that they're actually moving towards a hundred percent recycling for all of their garments and like creating programs for people to send back anything. Adidas could be stained, ripped, teared, and they will have a 100% recycle process for them. So they, and their new materials are made like literally so sustainably it's all over their website. But for Nike, they made like one sustainable shoe recently and are calling it like the future form or whatever they're calling it. Mm. And I mean, if you research Nike's like leather production process, um, how they make their clothes and who makes them, it's really terrifying and they really are enslaving people. It's really sad. So how does, where does this perfectly come in? Does it look at the landscape and just be like, these are the brands that people should buy and we're gonna re resell them? No, so List Perfectly doesn't do any of that. It really just puts the power in the hand of the secondhand seller to enable them to successfully sell their their listing, you know, and their products. So, for example, like so many of us have thought that they want to sell something online. Like I'm sure almost every person listening to this podcast or someone you know, every one of you, right? Yeah. Has oh, I want to sell like I have all these shirts, I don't wear them, I want to sell them. And then has either tried to sell them and not been successful or just tried to list them and it's like so overwhelming and that they just throw them in a bag, put them to Goodwill or whatever charity, or they just throw them away. Yeah. Goodwill, by the way, publicly says that 85% of their goods uh, go to a landfill. They just throw them away because they can't handle how much people drop off. And they have a whole campaign like stop giving us trash. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, 
the point is it's not the e it's really hard to sell things online and list perfectly does make it so easy and by making it easy we're making it so that when you type in the search bar you know for that item that you're looking for you want to buy that it's available for you, you know, on every marketplace. Some people really like to shop on eBay. Some people really like to shop on Poshmark. Some really like on Depop. Yeah. It's easy for that seller to get their item on every single platform so that it does reach the right buyer. It does make that successful sale. And we are able to successfully extend the life cycle of the piece of clothing or um, furniture or whatever it is that you're selling. I have you for a few minutes more. I want to get a little bit into, I guess, the where the passion stems from. I mean, we talked a little bit about your family, but it's it's so easy to sit back and and just and get a little lazy. And and you certainly don't seem like you're doing that. You're you're busier than ever. And you you said, hey, I want to be CEO someday of if not less perfectly another company at some point with a a, a mission like theirs or uh, perhaps one that's even more uh, intricately tied into uh, eco-friendly products. Um, where does that come from? So I will say, just because I know my amazing bosses are listening to this, I definitely <laughs> do want to be the CEO of us perfectly. Um, and I actually really, together, we really want to start a venture capital fund for women in business and minority business owners that are making a difference because it is really hard to get money. And that was why I had to exit my business. Um, just because this is like a crazy stat, but 2.2% of venture capital dollars go to women. Yeah. It just sucks out there. Yeah. If you're a, a, a female entrepreneur and you're looking to raise funds. It sucks. And it, it happened to me, you know, so I really, I could never invest in anything that isn't sustainable, obviously, um, nor would I want to, but I would love to start a fund that, prioritizes equality in terms of investment dollars. And also, of course, every company has a sustainable uh, aspect or mission or is, you know, net is neutral in terms of their impact on the planet. So uh, that is really, that is my goal. But I guess where the passion comes from is just that, I mean, this, I was, I was kind of answering this before, but this touches on literally everything that I care about and like hold dear, right? Like this climate crisis like affects minorities disproportionately. Like it affects children. I was at the Al Gore summit we were looking at how um, landfills are positioned like in counties where people are like more impoverished and then they burn the trash and like these little kids have like asthma and cancer, right? So where was this? This was on the climate reality summit where I was learning about how landfills are are placed in like lower income areas. And then, um, of course, like they emit, you know, all this gas and smoke and CO2. Yeah. And then these little kids that are like at schools outside are like having crazy rates of cancer and asthma and all of these different um, issues. And so, like, obviously it touches children. And like, let's not even talk about the true cost documentary, which is one of the best fashion documentaries and how um, in like Indian farmlands where they grow different like fibers and um, different materials are produced, like how their water supply is so damaged that one in every two kids are being born with the most severe mental illness that you could possibly imagine and like birth defects. So it touches on that, right? Like we're talking about like 90% of garment workers being women and being 
like I use the word enslaved because that really is the word slave labor of women. You know, we're talking about like violence towards women. And so it's just, of course, animals, right? Like this just extends so far to everything that I hold dear. And I think everybody that's listening has one thing that they really care about. That's like, that's their Achilles heel. When they see a news story about it, they always go, you know, that always affects them. They're always talking about it or they always donate to this specific organization. And like fashion really does touch every single aspect of that spectrum. And so because of that, it's just hard not to completely care once you know the facts. What advice do you have for younger you? Cause you were out there, you know, making the rounds uh, with your uh, fundraising campaign and you were frustrated uh, during that process. And, you know, it led you here, which is a good place to be, but your life could have been a little different if investors, you know, came through and so off, too often they don't uh, for, for young entrepreneurs, especially women. What advice do you have for others out there who are maybe in a similar spot? As far as, you know, being a woman in business, my advice is that you are who you are and that's what gives you value, not what you do. And I used to define myself by what I did. So when I first, you know, got out of Relove, I was like, oh my God, like I have no identity. I'm not a CEO anymore. And at the time I still do, but at the time I was speaking at Harvard on an annual basis, I was featured in Forbes. I was like on Entrepreneur Magazine show and I was on TV shows. I'd been on ABC like a ton of times. And I was like, oh my God, no one's gonna care about me anymore. Like I'm nobody, you know? And then I realized like, wait, I'm only, I'm still in my twenties. So I'm 28 years old. and. At the time I was 27 and I'm like, wait, I've done all of this. And like, I can do so much more. Like this was done because of me, not because of my company, right? My company is an extension of who I am and what I'm capable of. So I think just whenever you do hit that wall, which all of us hit a wall. And as they always say on Shark Tank, like it only takes one. It only takes that one good idea, that one like aha moment to really propel you into where you're supposed to be in life. And like, even if this thing, whatever it is, isn't it, or isn't it right now when you need to pivot or you need to change what you're doing? That doesn't define who you are. Like you define who you are. And I've been really like, that helped a lot once I got that. <laughs> so why is List Perfectly the, the good idea? Well, first of all, List Perfectly is 100% female owned and operated. So by supporting List Perfectly, you're supporting all things, um, you know, right with in terms of equality in the workplace. And I think that's really awesome. Second of all, it's completely self-funded. So it really is a, just a great business. You know, we help people make more sales and save time listing, and it does pay for itself. When you're able to go from just selling on Poshmark or just selling on eBay or just selling on Etsy to then selling on anywhere between five to all 12 platforms that we offer, it does pay for itself in a matter of under a month, right? So it's a great business in that it's, it generates like enough revenue to support all of the employees that we've gone from like five to 20 something employees already. Mm -hmm. But it also brings extra, like even more revenue to the user. So it's just all around a great company that's really doing what it says it's going to do. And I think that that's what I always really wanted to be a part of was something that actually did what it said it was going to do and did something good for the world. Well, I only have for a little less than three minutes, and I would love to know a little bit about meeting Al Gore, Mr. Inconvenient Truth himself. Well, how did you get there and what was that like? What was, was he cool? 
Okay, so I never got to actually like meet him one on one, but I was like 10 feet away from him. <laughs> I was crying. He's a hero. I wish he would go back into politics because his uh, perspective is very much policy driven, mm. which I agree with. You know, like the corporations want us to focus on like, oh no, don't use a straw, like save the turtles, you know, versus like, no, you know, we need solar energy and we need clean water and we need like all of these different like actual rights that we have as as humans you know yeah. and so he's very much about modern like monitoring and pol like doing policy i wanted to use the word policing but just i use it in terms <laughs> of the word policy right like yeah, yeah, yeah. applying policies to um these different corporations like jp morgan and chase and like all these huge corporations that own so many unilever and so um you know, just actually putting restrictions on these companies. And it's really important that we, we do do that. So that's what Al Gore is all about. And he definitely gave me hope and made it, made it less, um, less of a negative thing, which I think is great. And I really try to do that on Sustainabase to just remind people that it isn't too late. We're living on this earth right now. Like we have a chance to make a difference right now. That's a great place to leave it, Sustainabase. Thank you for being on Who's Saving the Planet. Thank you so much. And I want you, to, you're going to come back on the show at some point. We're going to continue this conversation. I would love to. <laughs> Have a great night. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.